I would invite you to turn in your Bible um, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 9 and just read a couple of verses. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring your word to these people. It is your word, and we just want to unpack it, make it as clear as possible. And then, Lord, I pray that we would apply these things to our own life and our own heart, that you may be glorified and honored as a result of us being together today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a pivotal point, really, in the book of First Peter. Peter is, is transitioning now um, in the book. He has laid out for us all that God has done for the believer in relation to salvation and this new position that we have in Christ. And now he's calling us to action. In fact, from this point on, he is going to give us a, a series of, of commands. And it's, um, his, his focus is going to be on godly living from here on out. And he gives us, uh, there, there's a, a few things actually he does in this little pivotal point, these pivotal verses. First of all, he sums up what, what uh, God has done, and he does so in three little phrases here of what God has done. And these three phrases really are major categories. Um, and you'll, you'll begin to see this. And another thing that he's done is these three categories then become, or you, you'll notice that they are distinctions or things that make us distinct in the world. They distinguish us from the world. Now, if you've ever, uh, you, you may have seen it in magazines or online, uh, this little game that they would put two pictures side by side. And you look at those pictures and at first glance you think, that um, well, those pictures are perfectly identical. But the longer you look at these pictures, you begin to see mm, there's slight differences in, in the two pictures, and you begin to realize that really the pictures are, are just completely different. You begin to see these little distinctions. That's the way it is with the believer's life compared to the unbeliever's life. The longer we look at, at the believer's life and God's intent for the believer's life, we begin to see God has made us distinctly different. And you'll see that. And, and that's, that's why I say this is a pivotal point that we, we understand these things. Also, Peter in this passage calls us to action. He's calling us, he uses the, the, the purpose clause, so that. And whenever you see that, you know he's moving you to action so that you can, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you. This is an undertone of admonition, you see here. Um, a warning, a caution, a call to action. Um, we have a new position 
But that new position is not merely for our own personal gratification. It's not for our own self, uh, self-esteem to make us feel good or even for corporate glory of the church. He has placed these high and lofty titles that we read in verse 9. He placed those on us so that we can proclaim that that's one job that we've called to do. And in Peter's mind, that, that one word kind of, uh, uh, narrows down or summarizes the whole of the Christian life, that we are called to proclaim the excellences of him who called us. Now, the word proclaim there is a good word. It's essentially to communicate something outside that is happening inside. To communicate to to people things that are going on that they may not be aware of, that they may not be uh, know that that is happening, know that's going on. And, and the key word or the, the idea is just our word for advertising or marketing. And in our day, we are good at marketing. But this is just a, we are walking billboards and we're to communicate the, the glories, the, the excellences of God. We are commercials. We're just an advertisement that we point to God, constantly point to God. And that becomes a way of life, really, for the believer. Now, notice this is Godward. And this is, this is proclaiming the excellences of God, His nature, His deeds, His glory, His character, His love, His compassion, and even His, His, uh, uh, His wrath, warning the world of His of his wrath. Those are part of his character. That's part of who he is. And we're to point those things out to the world. Now notice also that this is a command or an admonition for the whole church. This isn't just for the pastor. Like I said, it becomes a way of life for the believer. And this is just what we do. We point to God. This is the evangelism function of the church. And I want you to notice that it is this isn't a silent witness. We, we have that idea today. And, and there is a, a part of that, that uh, we are, uh, our life is, a, is a, just a witness for Christ. But we have to open our mouth. This is a, a proclaiming forth. This is not just a silent witness. This is not just character and conduct. Th- this is speaking we have to say something. This is an advertisement. Like I said, we're walking billboards. You know, the world is not ashamed to advertise. Haynes is not ashamed to advertise. Now, I kind of blush when I see something. Victoria's Secret is not ashamed to advertise, are they? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not going to back down. We are called to proclaim the excellences of him. There should be no reason, no reason. And folks, I'm preaching to myself here. But sometimes I find myself backing away. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm a little scared. But the world isn't. The world isn't. So the principle is that we are left here on this earth to proclaim the excellences of him who has called us. We need fuel for that. And Peter knows that. He understands that. And so he gives us some fuel to feed this fire, proclaim the excellences of of God. 
And then he goes on. Here's what he's done for us. And in those three things that he's going to tell us, these three little phrases that he's going to tell us what God has done for us, he's essentially summarizing chapters 1 and half of chapter 2 in First Peter. He's summarizing what God has done for us. And he gives us three phrases. And he connects the dots for us um, to move from, from new life to new living. And then we need to, we need to stop in this moment, not just jump into the new living. We need to stop. We've got the new life. We've thought about that. We've, we've gone over that in the past so many months. And now we, we're going to go into the new living, but we have to think. And Peter is connecting the dots. And this is essential thinking for the believer. This is dots that need to be connected. This is a, a necessary transition in our minds. And, and here's the reason why. If we don't, if we don't connect these dots, if we don't understand these things and the proper motivation, it's going to be hard for us to maintain faithfulness. We're, we're going to burn out. It's, it's like taking your car on a long uh, trip coast to coast, 3,000 miles. You're going to stop several times to get gas, right? You're going to have to refuel. And, and the same in the Christian life. There are those moments, those times that you're just running empty and you have to go back and you have to think, what has God done for me? And, and Peter's rehearsing these things so that they will be clear in our minds. They're, they're things that kind of stand out, big picture kind of things, so that we can have then the fuel to just keep going, keep going in the Christian life. And there's three of them. Let me point these out. This is, uh, there's three key elements here if you want it. The first is a mindset, a kind of a world view. The, the second, we have new distinct identity. And then we have a distinct message. Distinct mindset, distinct identity, and a distinct message. Let's look at the distinct mindset. This new world view, this new reality. We live in a new reality here. Notice what he says in the middle of verse 9. So we proclaim so that we may proclaim the excellences of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the shift. That's the distinction that the believer has from the world is that we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he's called us. He's a God that that calls. We talked about that this morning a little bit in Sunday school. He's called us out of darkness. The, the word darkness there really is the best description of the unbeliever's mindset. The unbeliever's understanding, if you will. Blind. Dark. Um, on the other hand, light describes as the best description for the believer's mindset. We walk in light. And light here is referring to truth and righteousness or, or moral excellence. Now, it's not as though this is just a, a dark world that we live in. No, people's minds are darkened. Let me show you some of these things in Scripture. We need to have a, a scriptural view of this. And this will help us understand these things as well. Turn, let me give you some, well, you see them on the screen there. In John chapter 3, uh, Christ, uh, in his teaching, he, he used this, this analogy a lot. John chapter 3, verse 19. He says this, this is Nicodemus, he's talking to Nicodemus here. 
this is the judgment that light has come into the world. Now, Jesus is that light. And men love darkness rather than light because uh, for their deeds are evil. Now, what he's talking about, he is this light. And when the light shines, what do you do? You kind of shine your eyes. If you've been in, in a cave pitch black darkness and you see this light it it, it you shield your eyes it, it hurts your eyes and that's and jesus is saying this is this is the judgment on the world they, they reject in that they would rather live in darkness he goes on to say verse 20 for everyone who is who does evil hates the light he's going to stay in his evil ways and he's he's going to get away from that light and he does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's pretty clear. Verse 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. It's a progression. You get further and further into the light. You want to know. You want that light kind of draws us. So that his deeds may be manifest or exposed even more. As have been brought by in God. Let me show you another passage. Matthew chapter 6. Again, this is light, not just in the world around us. Satan has this certain darkness that he puts on this world and his leading us about and keeping us in lies. He feeds lies to us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 23, Jesus said that, find the right passage here. He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light that is in you, a very little light that is darkened, then how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will uh, hate the one or he will love the other. and He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, he's, he's saying this. You, you can't have it both ways. You're going to live in darkness or you're going to live in light. And it, and it comes down to your eyesight. If you are rejecting Christ... You're going to live in darkness. If you're accepting Christ, you're going to live in light. Verse, uh, and that actually goes on, that little uh, speech continues to go on with Christ. Matthew chapter 23 is another passage. Verse 12, i try to read these quickly here. Matthew 23, Christ uh, essentially is just calling the... Scribes and the Pharisees, blind guides. Their, their eye is wrong. They had rejected Christ, but yet, and they're completely dark, and yet they're leading the whole country in the wrong way. But here's, here's the key, and here's the good news. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, But he, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been rescued out of that. He is, he is like Paul said today, the, our, the scales just fell off of our eyes. And we begin to see and, and we, we begin to realize that there's light out there. Another passage is just so good. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Um, he says this, Paul says this, do not uh, be bound together with unbelievers. Now, the, the, here's his logic here. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. Don't, don't connect with them in a formal way. We don't marry unbelievers. Young people, uh, men and women, you don't, you just make up your mind now, you will not marry an unbeliever. Here's why. 
For what participation or what, yeah, partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Listen, there's two completely different worldviews, two completely different mindsets that are going on here. And again, John points these things out even further in 1 John chapter 1. He says uh, in verse 5, This is the message which we have, which you, we have heard from Him, that is Christ, and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say then that we walk in fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, or we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all. There's two ways, light and darkness. We're going to live under the light of the truth and the moral excellences of God, of God, or we're going to live in darkness, live in our own way. Now, that's a good picture. We need to have that picture in mind, especially that picture that God has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His, His Son. And so we live as, as believers. We are light in the world we're, our light comes from God and we live in a dark world where we're those people who the world is, is going to shield their eyes from. They're going to avoid us. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to see the moral life. They don't want to see the examples. They're going to hide themselves. In fact, Romans chapter, Romans chapter 1, um, Paul says that they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, aren't they? They suppress that truth. They don't want to hear. They don't want to see a righteous life. They don't want to hear the truth of the gospel. When you shine a, a light in a cave, it, it, it's that, that distinction becomes so clear. There's light and darkness. But when you shine that light in the in full day of sun, you, you can barely see the, the little flashlight compared to the sun. We are like light in a cave, folks. They're going to shield their eyes from us. Now, let's just apply this. We get truth from God. We get our moral life from God. The culture doesn't dictate truth. Doesn't dictate truth at all. We have an election coming up. Voting for president. Um... The, the, neither candidate really would be qualified in my mind for to be a pastor. We're not voting on a pastor. We're voting on a president. It's a secular office. We may not like either one of the candidates, but they represent essentially two different parties. In fact, if you look closely, they represent two different worldviews. If you look at the, the Democrat platform and the Republican platform, they couldn't be any more distinct and and different um now they're not perfect neither one of them are, are perfect but they have a certain amount of light and what's happening here is that both of these parties will pursue their agenda and i know in my own experience up in uh when i was working uh the state capitol in pennsylvania 
85 to 90 percent of the time, whoever you vote in there is going to vote with the party that you put in. That's just the way it is. It's party affiliated. And when you look at the party distinctions here, they have a different view of religion and religious freedom. They have a different view of marriage and, and sexuality. One is, is promoting a, a LGBTQ community and, and promoting same-sex marriage and promoting children being able to define their gender. One is promoting a, an economics, a completely different worldview of economics, a, 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 a prosperity um, a shared prosperity, as opposed to a good, solid work ethic. One has a, a, another view is, is just abortion. Completely different ideas on abortion. One is going to defend a woman's right to choose. One is going to defend the right to life. Completely different views. Now, our, our theological views, folks... We live in the light. Our theological views are going to reflect our political views. They just will. You need to be informed. And, and I'm not just talking about the political climate. You need to be informed of Scripture. What Scripture says. We need that light. We need that light. Here's what we have today. We, we seem to have this. We have a third group. Kind of somewhere in the middle. That like to live in that, that gray area. They're not really living in the light. They're not really living in the darkness. They're kind of quasi-Christians. The Bible has nothing to say about it. There's nothing like that in, in Scripture. We live in the light or we live in the darkness. We are to advertise. We are to promote the light. They're suppressing the truth. They're suppressing the truth. They're, they're suppressing that light. And we are living that light. So we have a completely different mindset. That makes us different from the world. And folks, that needs to fuel us. That needs to energize us. So that we can proclaim the excellences of Him. He has, he has moved us from darkness into light. The second thing that He's made and distinct, uh, made us distinct for is that we have a distinct identity. A distinct identity. Look at verse 10. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are the people of God. That's another. It's a, again, he's summarizing. In his summary, he, he points out that we are now the people of God. The people of God. It's singular. Singular. There's, there's no other people of God. This is his people we're His people. In fact, it says we were not a people. We, we didn't have our own distinctions. We didn't have a particular race. We're not from a particular uh, country or, or language or culture or religious affiliation. No, it's from all over the world. From all over the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul points out, and I love this. We need to we need to see this little progression here. First Corinthians chapter six, verse eleven. Paul says, "Well, let me begin reading in verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor 
idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor um, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the good part. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of God. We've been washed. We've been changed. We're no longer those people. We have been moved. We've been transformed. I love Ephesians chapter 2 is another good passage. Ephesians chapter 2 verse I'll just read verse 11. He says, remember, he says, remember back in verse 11 as well. But he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was us. We had no distinction as a church. Colossians 3 Paul kind of finishes this thought, verse, chapter 3, verse 7. Um, he says, and in whom you also once walked. That was the way we walked. That was our lifestyle. God then, He just called us into existence. I love that. We were once not a people and now we are the people of God. He just, he, all of a sudden, just like he did in creation, he said, let there be light. And he caused the worlds into existence, caused the animal kingdom into existence. And he just calls us into existence. No church. 3,000 people get saved in one day. All of a sudden, boom, church. God calls us into existence. We were nothing. And now we're the, the people of God. Listen to the significance of that. He called us into existence. People to love Him. A people to exercise faith in Him. A people to worship Him. A people to follow His truth. A people to live in the light. And we experience His grace. Folks, remember in John chapter 4, that God was... Seeking worshipers? Oh, he found them. He, he called us into existence. And we have now a church. He has developed a church. And he's called us into existence to worship, to worship him. Israel rejected their Messiah. They apostated themselves. And in God's eyes, they are now the spiritual Gentiles. They are the unbelievers. The only reason, folks, that the church exists is because God called it into existence. We are His special people. Think about that. And your connection to, to God and the church is church. Now let's just apply that a little bit. This really is a case for limited atonement. We were talking about this in Sunday school today. This is a case for definite atonement. That God sent Christ to die for these people, His special people. This whole passage is a, an argument against any kind of universal atonement. He is coming after and, and seeking these special people of His. You see God's deliberate, intentional act of atonement 
here. It's not just potential atonement, not just I hope somebody uh, will accept me. This is deliberate. These are my people. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to call them. They will be my people. I will be their God. That's what you see. That's what you see really throughout Scripture. And His special salvific love is targeted toward them who are all over the world. Not just in one location, not just for the Jews, but Christ died for the elect. In Matthew chapter 1, we see that He shall save His people from their sins. In John chapter 10, verse 15, we say we see that He laid down His life for the sheep. That's, that's, that's exactly the same terminology that we see here. That he's called us. We are the people of God. That's pretty specific. It's a deliberate, intentional act from God to create for Himself this, this people that loves Him and that worships Him. He calls us. He pursues us. He draws us. He gathers him, us to Himself and He secures us and He shares or showers on us this special redemptive grace. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What do we do with this? Well, just a couple of points of, ex, uh, of application. The, the, the church is God's people. It's God's people. It's not just some organization. Now, here's, here's what I think. I think we have a lot of young men uh, out there. Sometimes, a lot of times they graduate from seminary. Sometimes they don't even go to seminary. But a lot of, a lot of churches springing up. Because we're good, we're Americans, and we're good at marketing. We're, we're good at advertising. We have uh, sophisticated marketing tools. I see them, because I'm a pastor, I get these uh, advertisements all the time. Hey, we can grow your church. We can do this and we can do that. The church is organic. The church is dynamic and, and it grows from within. And it's, and it's God's church. Christ is building His his church. And we, with our sophisticated marketing skills, we can grow a church. We can gather people together. And we're super um, organized. And we have super organizational skills. Again, we're American, man. We can do it. And we can organize ourselves to death. And that's, that's what I think some churches are. Man, and they are growing. And they are growing with leaps and bounds. Marketing and, and, and organizing and... And you think, are they the people of God? Has God sanctioned this? Is God growing this? Is Christ building that church at all? Or is that just man-made? And boy, Satan would love to have a counterfeit church. And I'm afraid that's what we've got in America, is a counterfeit church. But I, I want to go back as far as application. And I just want to apply this, this one. Little. Paul used the word remember. Such were some of you. Remember the way you were. Before God called you into existence. Before He transferred you from darkness to light. We remember that. Sometimes it's good for us to look back. It's good for us to remember. Because it deepens our gratitude, doesn't it? When I realize that, that God has called me, me... I'm nobody. He's called me. That deepens my gratitude toward Him to think that I am 
part of the people of God. Folks, that's our identity. We have a new, distinct identity as the people of God. Let me give you one more. Verse 10. We have a new, distinct message. It distinguishes us from the rest of the world. It it sums up what Peter has been saying all along. And if you want to put one big phrase that would sum it all up, is we just have received mercy. We've received mercy. I love the way Peter's thinking here. You have not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Well, that sums it up. You received mercy. Received mercy. God is a merciful God. Paul said that he will have mercy on whom he has mercy. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament. The God of the creation is a God of, of mercy. And he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. That makes, folks, Romans chapter 9, that makes us vessels of mercy. God has poured his mercy into us. I, I love that. We, in fact, what he says here is we have received that mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Mercies are new every morning. And we receive that. We've experienced that mercy firsthand. We have knowledge of God's redemptive grace now in our life. And I want you to notice that that's an active thing. He's aggressively put mercy, placed mercy on our life. What about the rest of the world? Because that, what should come to mind here is, is what about the rest of the world? Does it make, uh, because he placed mercy on me, isn't that, that's no fair for the rest of the world? That would be a, the idea here is double predestination. Because he selected me, he, he doesn't select them. It, it all comes down to one thing. It comes down to God's mercy that he, he just chose. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my mercy on these people. Did he destine them to hell? No, they were already destined to hell. That happened in the Garden of Eden when they, and when Adam and Eve chose the whole human race was destined to hell, but there were some. His special people. I don't know what marked them out. But he just poured his mercy on them. Poured his mercy on them. That's the single greatest act of mercy that can ever be had, right? You have eternal damnation. Eternal. Let that sink in. Eternal damnation on one side. That's where we were and moved us all the way over to eternal life with the life giver. Nowhere, nothing in between. It's just moving from here to here. That's the greatest act of mercy that we'll ever, you'll ever see. That could ever be. And that was us. We had not received mercy and now we have received mercy. It's a special act of God. On, on us. It, it might be passive judgment on the rest of the world. It's not active thing. He's not sending them to hell. They're already being sent to hell. That was the decision that was made a long time ago. But what we needed was a special mercy. A special, a special grace. This is an active thing on God's part. Um. God is, in one act of mercy, He saved us. That's what Peter has in mind. Now, 
if the fact that God hasn't shown you or God has shown you mercy, if that that fact, if that doesn't humble you, folks, you are you are too proud. If it doesn't break your heart, if it doesn't humble you that you were chosen, you were placed and, and are the people of God, a special people that God has shown his mercy. If that doesn't humble you. We need to reevaluate our own self. We, we need to think. We have a high view of ourselves or we have a low view of God. We have a low view of others. We're, we're puffing ourselves up because we are. Completely dependent upon the mercy of God. His mercies are new every morning. We depend on that mercy every morning, every day, every day. So what do we do? We proclaim, we proclaim the excellences of him who has called us and given us a new identity and shown us mercy. We proclaim his excellences. It's him. We just point to him. It's not us. It's Him. What does that mean for us? That means since we have been shown mercy, we can show mercy. We live a life of grace. A grace of grace toward other people. A gracious life. Why? Because we were once there. We, we experience it. We understand. We know what it was like. And we've been shown grace. Let me, another thing is we can forgive we can forgive because we've been forgiven. And that points, that points to God's excellences because He has forgiven us. We know how to forgive. We can release that bondage of sin that we like to, to keep on other people. Oh, you did this to me and you're not going to forget it the rest of my life as long as I can remind you of that. That's not grace. We can forgive. We can release that. And we can live a life of love, a supernatural love. That's what God has called us to. A distinct life. A distinct life with new, distinct mindset, a new identity, a new message. And folks, that is hope to the world. That's what it is. It's, it's hope to the world. The world sees us and, and, and they see light. Let me just share with you my own experience. I remember when I was young, really young, actually, and I was we were probably coming home from church and and I was looking at my Bible and and I'm thinking they mass produce these Bibles, you know, and and uh, and that's and I'm thinking that is everything, every word in the Bible is is that true? Is that God's word? Yes, everything is the Bible. It's God's true. It's true. True. I said, well. Because I'm thinking, they're mass-producing these things. What if they put a comma in the wrong place? What if they put a period in the wrong place? What if they accidentally put in a, a, a different word? And, and, and I was pushing my dad, and he was getting mad. That's just what he did, you know. And don't ask me this question anymore. But what am I doing? I'm seeking light. I want to know the truth. And it's not because God was, I was anything special. It's God was working in a little boy's life. And I went to camp, third grade. I was able to go to Camp Nathaniel, the, the Bowers family. They're familiar, uh, familiar with Camp Nathaniel. And I saw people living light. 
Living it out. And they were speaking the truth. And their lives were different. They had different families. I saw this. That's what I want. And they had at the end of the summer, once you get into high school, they could, you could sign up for LT, leadership training. I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to sign up. And, I, and here's my thought. I thought, they will never accept me. They'll never accept me. I, I can't, I'm not like them. They, they are, are so different. I'm not like that. And you know what? They accepted me. I, I just couldn't believe it. My mind was blown. They accepted me. But I'm just pursuing light. That's all I knew. It was just that, that those gracious families, those, those people there. I thought, that's the truth. That's the light. And I'm just moving toward that light. And then, then I had the opportunity. I heard that there was a Christian school opening up. And it was some of those same people opening up a Christian school in, in, our, uh, in our area. And I, I started looking at the, 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 the darkness that I was living in in the public schools. I hate to say that, but that's, just, that's the truth. I was looking at that. And it was dark. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be just like these people. I've got to get out of this. And I, I said, and I went to my parents and I begged, can you send me to this Christian school? Oh, it costs money. And the Lord, again, worked it out. I'm just pursuing truth. I'm pursuing light. And then I had the opportunity to, and I heard about Bible college. You mean you can actually study the Bible and get a degree for it? You can actually study. There's people out there that would go in depth. Study it phrase for phrase, word for word, each book. And and just analyze it from every standpoint. Yeah, there were those people. And I I want that. So I went to Bible college. And I get out in the ministry. And I think, I need more. I go to seminary. Folks, our lives are just pursuing light, isn't it? That's what we do. Peter said to Christ, Peter turned, Jesus turned to the disciples and a lot of people, a lot of the other disciples left. And he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, what did he say? Where should we go? You have the word of eternal life. It's from you. Folks, he, he has marked us out. We are special people for him. And I, I love the little phrase. I'll close with this. I want to just leave this picture within your, in your mind. Um, the first, the, the last song that we sang the church is one foundation. The, the picture is this. He says, from heaven he came and sought her. That was his holy bride. He sought her. He died for her. He sacrificed his life for her. He bought her back. He brings her into his arms. And what does she do? She proclaims. She sings his praises. This is the guy who, who died for me. He loves me. That's the picture, folks. That's the picture that we need to leave in the mind of the world that's watching us. And folks, that should fuel the zeal that we should have to live the Christian life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, may we may it fuel us May it energize us to be the people You've called us to be. Help us to even come to terms with who we are. A new mindset. We're in light now. We have a whole new identity, a whole new message for the world, a message of mercy and grace. Lord, help us to live up to that calling. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.